This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. You know, you really know you've nailed a role as an actor when people don't know your real name. And you walk down the road and go, no, Nandipa. <laughs> then, then you know you've done the role justice. You know, and as I said earlier on, the um, the person we're speaking to in today's spotlight interview strikes me as the artist who woke up one day and decided she was more interested in substance over style, in quality over quantity, in a world where it's important to be visible all the time, attend every function, comment about every issue, be in every production, whether Showmax, Netflix, uh, the various SABC channels, you know, market yourself. There are just those artists who say, I'll only show up if it means something, if it's going to enhance what I already do, if it's going to grow me, if it's going to develop me beyond where I am. And so everything is carefully, methodically charted. It feels to me that this is what Ruby Boy Arnold does. Not only does she think through where she wants to be, when she wants to be seen, when she wants to speak, when doesn't she want to speak, she also picks roles that align with causes that she cares about. And at times it's just because the role itself dovetails. So we do know her for that iconic role as Nandipa uh, on the SABC uh, long-running Soapy Istingo. And Nandipa at the time was, I think, the first TV character in South Africa to be openly portrayed as living with HIV. So it was a huge moment, a huge statement by Istingo and a huge responsibility for this one actress to carry in a country at the time that barely understood what HIV was. The stigmas were rife, the fears were rife and people couldn't even separate a TV character from a real person. And so she bore that on her shoulders to use the role to educate. And I think in learning more about AIDS and HIV, she realized it was a cause she wanted to be embedded in long after the storyline had developed. In later years, um, she got behind the camera uh, as a director at Sunshine Cinema. And in this particular uh, role, started seeing how to really enhance what we call storytelling, not interpreting a script, but really and truly uh, being part of the organic development of a script, really bringing a canvas to life from its blankness. And from working on those projects, enter the sisters working in film and television, Swift, where she said, I think it's important to start developing a crop of female producers, directors, script writers, women in the industry. And with that nonprofit organization, uh, her cause moved from health issues to empowerment and transformation issues. And this is why I'm saying everything about her seems very methodical. She then decided she wanted to be back in front of the camera 
and uh, we recently saw her in the Donovan Marsh uh, film about human trafficking called I Am All Girls. For me, it was a hard one to watch, but it was also her taking advantage of the evolution of television and film into streaming services, introducing you to wider on-demand audiences, but again, using a role to bring together everything she cares about the case of women, the case of the marginalized, the case of the oppressed, the case of black Africans, the case of storytellers, everything all in one role. I think that is who Hlubi Mboya is. And yes, she's also the sister of another South African icon. But in a moment, we will discuss what it is coming from... um, a family of very talented people. She's also the cousin of Bad Boy T. You know that? The whole, like the whole family. Like the whole when they're sitting at family lunch, everybody is an entertainer. Yeah. <laughs> We're on. Huh? Yeah. That's that, that's what we call like the Jackson Five. That's it's like that. Shubhi <laughs> Mboya Arnold. Good morning. Wow. I mean. What a way to be described. First and foremost, I want to say I want to go to the Shrek matinee. Please. Please. Aww. I love that kind of storytelling, the animation, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's really like a public platform to really just get kids and all of us into the real mm-hmm. family celebration holiday spirit. You know. I've tried so hard to protect my inner peace. Yeah. I once started where I wanted to be everything to everyone and do everything, but my energy was depleted. Mm. I was a people pleaser. Mm. I was exhausted. I was depleted. And ultimately, I wasn't happy. At 45, boundaries are my big word. Are you 45? I'm 45. Ah. I'm 45. Like a size 28? <laughs> With looking a three year old. Looking, looking a 10 out of 10? Huh? Minus nothing. Sis <laughs> Boundaries. That's why I'm very selective about who I let into my personal life. Yeah. What kind of work I do. Yeah. Where I go. Who I allow into my home. Yeah. Who I allow into my energy face. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can be lonely. Yeah. But I'd rather be alone than be unhappy at the, at the wrong time with the wrong people at the wrong place. I just thought you were going to quote Karen White. I'd rather be alone <laughs> than be unhappy. Some is a summation. It's an anthem. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah? yeah? Should I tell you the first time I ever saw you? Tell me. It was not on a TV screen. Yeah. So, uh, we were all on the same university campus. <gasps> and I was coming out of um, the that? humanities, the library. Yeah. And had to walk past the jammy stairs. And what people don't realize about the campus of the University of of Cape Town, um, when you're on the lower um, campus, is what Mm, they call mm. it, you've really got to walk up (laughs) a hectic flight of stairs. And when you get to middle campus, you haven't actually arrived where you're going. Then you kind of catch a breath and then you walk up another set of stairs. So just to get onto the main campus every day, you're literally exercising. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm coming out of the library, so I'm already on the middle tier. And I just see this coconut chocolate <laughs> beauty, this Amazon, this goddess. And I tell you, her hair, her extensions were 
cascading. That Cape Town wind was blowing. <laughs> she was wearing a semi-mini dress. So just above the knee, but not very short. Your memory. With, with cowboy boots. Yes. Yes, and it was me. It was you. It was me. And the dress was kind of a rusty brown color. Oh, gosh. And she was heavily loaded with a satchel, but the book's on the one side. And like a coffee or something that she's drinking. So, so she's carrying too many things. And she's attempting to do this walk. And the hair is just going. And she's coming up this girl, right? And she's tiny, tiny, tiny. She's like an Eva Longoria. She's like petite. You know? Banging body. And she's coming up. And then she drops a file. So now she's got to pick it up. But she's got to figure out how to do it. Because her hands are full. You know, and she's got the momentum. And if she doesn't check herself, she could trip and fall. Yep. But you can see that she's thinking through the action. <laughs> is how am I going to do this so that I don't trip and fall? Because I've already made it this oh far. And all eyes on me. Because by this stage, all eyes really are on her. So then what she does is she gently kind of genuflects, picks up what it is, and then rises to charge up again. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, who is she? I later came to know she is Nomathubi Mboya. Wow. So we're from... So you were always hot. <laughs> so we're from UCT. Completely. Hey, What a journey. Always, always hot. And uh, maybe people don't know yeah. that before you became an actress, uh, you were a diligent student at the number one university in South Africa. I'll always be a lifelong learner. I'm still studying. Hmm, I read 45. that you're doing an MBA or, or at 45. I'm okay. still studying. I think also it was a um, a realization that the work that I do and what I'm known to do professionally mm -hmm. is not sustainable. Okay. I needed to create um, other means of expressing myself. Okay. To sharpen up my skills, okay. to be able to do other work, to create other work for myself and for other people, but to have choices. Mm. And I find that where I'm at in my life now, multiple forms of income are everything for me. Mm. And that's what I try and do with the young women that I deal with and that I empower and that I teach, mm. that it's so important for the black people, female to diversify mm. because... It's tough and there's a lot of rejection, but that might be redirection, mm. that might be protection, mm. that might be blessings. And I got so many no's in my industry, mm. in my lifetime, Larato, but now in reflection, I think back that those were blessings. Mm. Thank you for the no's. Thank you for the tears that I cried mm. in this industry because it forced me to go in a different direction and a different mm. path. And I'm happy for that because so much is being revealed to me. And different extensions of who I want to project in this life. And I love that and I enjoy that. There are quite a few things you've said there. I'll, I'll, let's start with the rejections. Who would have the audacity, the actual audacity of rejecting you? And what are the reasons that they gave? In this industry, they don't have to give any reasons. If you don't get the part, you don't get the part. In business, if you don't get the final yes, if you don't close the deal, you don't close the deal. Nobody owes you an explanation. Nobody owes you a reaction. Nobody owes you an apology. That's just the way of the game. And it's great because that's the way we learn those lessons of how to be resilient, of how to wipe yourself off and recreate yourself and reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And I find that the more I recreate and reinvent myself, the closer I am to becoming who I authentically am. 
And it's a journey of exploration and it's a journey of growth and tears and transformation and metamorphosis. The reason I'm asking you this is because in the corporate world, you know, they've got these concepts like exit interviews, like you're going to sit down and say why you're leaving or you interview for a job and then they reject you. But you're most welcome to call HR and say, where did I falter so that I improve my interviewing skills later on? So you get a sense that in some spaces, the idea is to bring out the best in someone. Here you're saying you get rejected, deal with it, you go and figure it out. So what it does is you don't get chaperoned through the rejection. You've got to introspect. So when you're introspecting, how do you say, okay, I think I have a blind spot. That needs a lot of self-awareness. It needs a lot of healing. Okay. It needs a lot of introspection. Mm. And that takes a lot of alone time yeah that takes a lot of quiet time and it takes a lot of shadow work Mm. inner work and the deep work Mm. that people avoid doing at all costs i know i find myself celebrating the tough lessons that this industry has taught me such as Not everyone's going to make it. Not everybody's going to be big time. Are you willing to settle for the crumbs or are you going to never settle? Are you willing to live paycheck to paycheck or do you want to create your own reality? Mm. Do you want success or do you want legacy? Mm. Do you want to feed your families or do you want to be seen as the it girl? Sometimes our passion doesn't have to be being an actor. It means taking care of the people that I love. Mm. It means paying my bills. Mm. It means feeding my family. Mm. And each job be job. Mm. And so people will just take from where they can earn Hence something. it comes from. Yeah. I mean, this economy. It's, yeah. it's been a rough 2020, 2023. Yeah. Some people didn't make it. Yeah. Some people lost a lot. And yeah. I'm not talking about financially. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... Those of us who are privileged enough to still have a home, mm. to still have a bed, oh, yeah. to still have a car, yeah. to still have a job, yeah. that wasn't easy. Yeah. And some of us had to change careers to, to be able to, to enjoy where we're at okay. today. You've also used the term success versus legacy. Give yeah. us your definition of the two. Why are those two things not the same? <sighs> I can be a hero one minute and a zero the next minute. Okay. It can be taken as fast as it was given. Yeah. I own my own legacy. Yeah. It's what I do consistently on a day-to-day basis over time that positively influences the next person. Mm. So what is success to you? Because, you know, I think it was T.D. Jakes, it could have been, who said we have to really... um, demonetize, if I can use that word, um, definitions of success. We tend to think that success is in titles, status, possessions. So when somebody looks a particular way, uh, carries a certain kind of handbag, drives a particular car, wears a particular brand, lives a lifestyle, it's the picture of success. And there are people who are saying that's a very flawed uh, definition of success because... Money is one of those rubber balls. It comes and it goes. 
So you can lose your money and then you can make it up again and then lose it. So it's a, it's a, it's a rubber ball. It bounces back. But success is the glass ball stuff. It's the stuff, you know, like family, like love, like relationships, like your health. Once you break that, you can't put it back together again. So being able to put those things together and keep it together, that's real success. Keeping your integrity together. Because once you break your integrity, it's hard to piece it back together again. And I think that's the question I'm asking. Integrity is a great one. I love that. Being accountable. Mm. Having ethics. Mm. Protecting your reputation jealously. Mm. And that takes time to build our reputations. Yeah. And it's never about not doing anything wrong. It's about saying sorry. I did it. Mm -hmm. I hurt people. Mm. I broke people's trust. Mm -hmm. Let me start again. Let me start afresh. Mm. Let me do better for me mm. so I can be better collectively. Mm. There's nothing wrong with money. I all, we all want money. Course, do you know what I mean? There's course. nothing wrong with luxury and luxuriating and, and, and having the nice things and having the finer things in life and smelling good and looking beautiful and having the nice bag and driving the nice car. But to what cost am I going to sell my soul yeah. for those things? Um, again, to quote somebody, uh, ecclesiastic, cull, mm. I think is the word. Mm. I've often been told people must stop using the term uh, money is the root of the problem. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. It says the love, of money. the love of money is the root of the problem. Money allows you to do many things. Yeah. Without money, how do you heal somebody who's sick? How do you get them the best treatment, the best doctors? Without money, how do you buy your dream house? Without money, how do you give your children the best quality? Money is not the problem. It's the obsession, the greed, that I'll do whatever it takes for money. Whatever it takes, I will kill, beg, borrow, Absolutely. steal. Absolutely. That is the problem. When you love money so much that you could lose your soul in the quest for it. And we, and we need to understand this. I think that um, for me, I, I don't want money. I like the freedom that comes with money. Yeah. That I can do whatever I want. Because yeah. that's the end game, the output yeah. of what I've, I've achieved through yeah. my hard work and efforts. And women must be paid for their labor. We still live start. in an environment where women and their labor is devalued, and yet they work the hardest. Pay me my worth. I will not settle. That's right. Spoken like my kind of person. <laughs> and by the way, that reference to smelling good. Uh, she, smells, <laughs> yeah. she smells so beautiful. She smells of jasmine. And mm. I just said to her, oh, Ruby, you look beautiful. You smell good. And you remind me of um, uh, Chioma on the housewives of Lagos who said, you know, the mark of a really successful person is ta 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 and they must smell good. So honey, mm. I receive that my love. Thank you. <laughs> we approve. You're listening to Nuratombele on Power 98.7. Right, we are with Shubin Boya Arnold, a renowned South African actress, a woman who says, you know what, now I do the things that matter to me. I'm not chasing success, I'm chasing legacy, she says. And I want projects that touch people, uh, you know, tugging at the heartstrings, but making people think. A lot of the work that she does today with the organization Sisters Working in Film and Television is about developing uh, a new crop of directors, producers, but also raising issues of equity, equality, 
uh, prejudice um, and also, um, I don't want to use the word patriarchy because we use it every day here, but I, I want to say, you know, just kind of uh, marginalization of women, misogyny as well. And I think it's an important thing in this season where we continue to talk about the 16 days of activism. I mean, we talk about it, but do we really, really apply our minds to it? And what of the creative arts helping to bring these issues to us in a creative way, but helping to mirror that reality to us. And that's what the work of sisters working in film and television do do. They've also showcased a lot uh, at different film festivals from Durban and also to Berlin recently. She herself uh, is a SAFTA Award winner, Best Actor actor for her portrayal of the drug-addictive single mother in Dora's piece. She's also been in the harrowing tale of human trafficking called I Am Girl. So you can see her choices are very, very deliberate. It is about raising uh, through art, through film, Mm. the challenges that women face a lot and more and more Mm. so Mm. are these challenges. Why do you think that is? I think firstly, Lerato, um, as much as I auditioned for the roles, I think that in retrospect, the films also chose me. I believe in that energy and that um, divine timing Mm. and my purpose. Mm. I think that everything that I've done in the past has prepared me for the woman who is sitting in front of you right now. And it all began with an innocent young girl from UCT dropping out in her third year because she saw Sherelle de Villiers on Isidingo and I was like, I want to do that. But little did I know I was going to a space that would change my life forever. My goodness. <laughs> you were so close to finishing. No, I was like, I, I need to, I want to be on Isidingo. Okay. Um, that set me up for this after, for Dora's piece. That set me up for Ndombi Zonge, I Am All Girls. Okay. That set me up for the work that I do with Swift, the work that I do with Sunshine Cinema, the work that I do with, with UFP, the United Nations World mm. Food Program. Mm. That set me up for my MBA. Mm. Talking about it, experiencing it, hurting from it, mm. talking about it. Mm. Healing from it. Mm. That's the master. Mm. Healing the rest of the people. You know, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there, there seems to be a trend. Like when you, because we're now going into Oscar season, Oscar Grammy nomination season, yeah. and often the films internationally that make it, like uh, or, or, or the defining roles for mm. an actress, it's going to be playing somebody really broken really hurt, really traumatized. Uh, Eileen Warnosh and the role that Charlize Theron played in Monster. It's got to be these really emotionally complex people, right? Um, Monster's Ball, where Haley Berry got her, you know. Stunning, that, stunning. That whole thing about racism in the deep south. St- stunning. Okay? Yeah. okay, so those kinds of roles. Yeah. Um, uh, the Help and uh, Viola Davis. So so it's got to be these really uh, big social commentaries on race, identity, gender. Okay, th- th- That's what gets people the big awards. And then after the award, 
people start going into comedy and James mm. Bond and yeah. do lighter work. So yeah. it's almost as if Absolutely. somebody wants a definitive role. Yeah. And then they say, oh, I can breathe and play. Absolutely. And as you're talking about your roles, I'm thinking to myself, okay, are you in that trajectory? Are you saying, first, I need to speak the truth of the reality I see and then I'll exhale? I've done a couple of exhaling roles and it was exactly <laughs> that. I wanted to play. I wanted to have fun. I didn't want to be so serious. I didn't want to be so dark and so deep. Yeah. And it also helps me spiritually. You know what right. I mean? And sometimes we, I don't want to take myself too seriously. I mean, I take my work very seriously, but I don't want to take too much too seriously. And I also want to be able to experiment and other people to experience other sides of my work right. that I can also have a touch of comedic influence that I could okay. also have a touch of just, you know, playing just a sex kitten or, yeah. you know what I mean? Just something completely different than the dark, harrowing, serious, we must learn a lesson. We have to impact the world positively kind of roles. Um, I don't think I'll ever veer very far from them because I'm always attracted to that kind of work. Mm. And I don't go chasing out for the work anymore, Lerato. Mm. Let's find you. It, I attract it. Mm. So that's why very, being very authentic of who I am and what space I want to be in and creating that environment. Right. That's when the energy is attracted to what I'm created. Yeah. If you think it, you can sort of be it or, or cultivate it around you. Film versus TV, I've asked this of many actors. It's obviously two different mediums. And now that we've added streaming services, it adds another dynamic, right? Because it's now film on demand or TV on demand, series on demand. So not everybody's going to the cinema anymore. Mm. We're all just watching these boxes of great, great movies. Mm. And you can buy them on Apple TV mm. So and on um Amazon Prime. So mm. I know that uh, the Elvis Presley movie was on at Stir Kinnacle, but it was on my streaming service at home. So the industry is changing a lot in yeah. real time. Nothing for me will beat the old school experience of sitting in a cinema or sitting in a theater and the lights go down and you can smell the popcorn and there's Ooh. like a shh. Yes. And that cinema experience, that's magic for me. I get emotional because that's exactly what I do in Sunshine Cinema. Mm. That's art. Mm. That's where the great storytellers come from. And I never want to lose that piece of myself. And I always want to bring it back to the people who have never experienced it in 2023. Mm. And those stories that are told in those kind of spaces impact people's lives forever. Yeah. The memories when you see a movie or when a song comes on or when you go to the theater or you go to the opera or you're sitting in a cinema. Mm. So I add a level and a layer to that and I say, what stories or what content or what context can we put in those spaces, spaces that can personally develop the individual, the society, the nation, the continent, the world? Mm. And that's why my role as an artist will, will always di diversify right. and will also grow and will surprise myself. And that's what I love. So you're saying sitting in a movie theater with the smell of popcorn and somebody sucking on their slush puppy. Oh, it's so changed so much now. You know that. You know that. You know, and people whispering and it goes dark yeah. and we're sitting on these armchairs. Yeah. And then you hear that 
sound of uh, the drum and the orchestra and the trumpet introducing the movie house that's or, or, or the studio that's brought you the thing. Bum, ba, 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 ba. I think it's MGM Studios. Yeah. Now you know the thing is starting. Yeah. So you're saying that entire collective experience is very different to just going home and turning on the TV. For me, yeah. Okay, why? I, think, I do agree with you, by yeah, the way, I, but why? I, I, I think because of the person who created what you're seeing, if you're a theater lover and a theater goer and a theater practitioner, yeah. that's the real high. Okay. The real high is not being able to say cut and do it again, improv, knowing that there's no second chances. Yeah. That if you forget your lines or forget your words, you've got your team or your colleagues or the rest of the cast vying and being improv in finishing off what you started or what you're supposed to do, sticking to the script. I think also monetary-wise, it's a different story. Now those streaming services, we don't see that. Yeah. We don't see that kind of money. We don't see those returns. Really? But it's being blasted everywhere across the world, across the globe. You're number one in Africa. You're number one in the world for two weeks running. Yeah. You know, people are re-watching I'm All Girls over and over and over and for over. For one subscription for fee. For one sub- subscription fee. I understand what you're saying. Whereas if I wanted to watch the movie yeah. again. yeah. I have to go back to the movie again yeah. and pay for the ticket every single time. And that's why box office matters. Whereas on a streaming, streaming service, it's either you rent it or buy it once. You pay once. Also, the problem with, uh, with your work being screened consistently over and over again on our pay for channels, our DSTV yeah. channels, or not even our SAB channels. That's where the whole plight and fight of royalties will come in just as musicians. Yeah. Okay, it's a complex industry. And you did say film is art, right? I love that you said that, the the kind of the velvet curtains of the movie house and how the story is told. There's there's a different way you tell the same story for TV, for stage and for film. What are those nuances for somebody wondering why, why, why? We've watched the story of Sarafina so many times. It's on stage. It's different. Then it goes on film. It's different. Why is it so different? The real-time reaction of audience ah. is addictive. The unpredictable, uh, it being unpredictable, yeah, is magic. Ah. Knowing that your performance tonight might be a completely different performance in the matinee show or the next day, but you're still selling the same story, mm. that audiences are different, that an audience tonight can react differently to the same performance, performance over and over again. And that's mm. electrifying for an artist because you need to connect with that audience. Mm. And that is the energy that they give you, that you give the production. It fuels you. It fulfills you. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying because there's, there's listening to a song that was recorded in a studio. It's neat. It's crisp. And then hearing the same song in a live performance. Oof. It doesn't sound the same. Mm. And that's because the artist has to adapt to the, to the acoustics, to whatever, to the space, and also to whether or not, as they say, young people, is it giving? 
Yeah. Because if the audience are not receiving it, or responding it's time to, it. to change the tempo. But it's it's also or the repertoire. It's also beautiful to have that range that you can do acoustic, that you can do theater, that you can do film, that you can do stage, that you can do everything. I think that right. also gives you options as an actor, and also be able to find the ability to create income from different yeah. ways of working and different ways of creating. Okay. So second time you mentioned the importance of multiple streams of income. So yeah. why is it? Because it's it's a little bit more than the gig economy. It's a it's an independence, an autonomy you refer to. I think the gig economy is uh, very lucrative at the moment. Okay. It means that it puts the power in your own hands, that you get to be your own boss, that you get to find uh, your own money and you get to create that revenue that no one's going to give you, that you create it yourself. I think the work that I also do with Sunshine Cinema is exactly that, is to train young people to be able to become media entrepreneurs of a storytelling space and be able to produce podcasts, to be able to produce adverts, to be able to do TikTok videos, which we get so paid so much to do. Mm. Um, I think that not everyone can is an entrepreneur, Lerato. We know that some mm. people are not going to be part of that gig economy. So how can we balance our kids and the future generations to be able to say, okay, you're going to be in the corporate, you're going to be the nine to five, and that's okay, that's great. Be at peace with that. But there are other kids out there who are born with the entrepreneurial spirit. Fire. It is about fire. And we've got to nurture that and be able to, Mm. um, for it to be Mm. sustainable for these Mm. kids. And that's what it's all about. I think for me, the gig economy and why I'm still being able to do what I like and how I like and what I like at this Mm. point in time is because I am creating my own opportunities Mm. and not waiting for them to be handed to me. I think I'm part of the gig economy, but I would never define it as such. Yeah. I would have never said that. I think uh, what I learned, and this is not about me, but what I learned is that if you've got different talents yep. and you work one job, yep. you are only nurturing one talent. So yeah. you get pigeonholed yep. and yet you're dying on the inside because you go to work Absolutely. nine to five and then you get home and start playing your piano. And then at the weekend, you are running your side hustle handbag business. And then on Sunday, you are directing the choir at church. And so you feel like this one job is not allowing you to express yourself holistically. I know. And so when you say, I don't want to do this anymore, it's because you're not living the range of you. So I don't even think it is about being entrepreneurial. I think it's about people saying, where do my talents really lie? Am I a great public speaker? Am I a great writer? Um, do I have an interest in music? So could I do multiple things that tap into every one of my talents and get paid for it? And somehow you find yourself becoming an entrepreneur, not because you're a born entrepreneur, but because you've really crystallized for yourself that I've got like seven different things I know how to do and I want to do all of them. Or sometimes, you know, corporate South Africa leaves you no choice but to, you know, do what you do best. And I think what's so important for us to be able to acknowledge and embrace, um, which, you know, as old school people, hard and soft skills are so different and the soft skills are so important. I find that the most uh, inverted commas successful people that I see are successful are so great at collaborations. Mm. They're so great great at articulating, you know, uh, and, and and, and are reflective and are team players Mm. and are compassionate and they create spaces where people feel psychologically safe. And I think those are such important values 
and and uh, and um, kind of behaviors to have just as an individual to succeed anywhere. But I think the soft skills are really undermined yeah. in the corporate sector. And that's yeah. where I think artists flourish. Yeah. Okay. So let us move this conversation a little bit along. And I'll tease you by just reading a comment that's come through on social media. Somebody's obviously in your picture, you're in studio, and they're like, black beauty in the building. And it's yes, true. Yes, yes. It is true, black beauty in the building. But I want to talk about colorism in the industry. Because yeah. Yeah. you are a black beauty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the only thing that belies you is the height. If you are any taller, <laughs> you know it's the height that says she's a South African. <laughs> but but your features, your complexion, you could be an East African, you could be uh, Guinean, Senegalese, okay. You could be Brazilian. You've, you 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 could fit in any one of those environments, okay. So I think there's a versatility to your look, your features, but you do have this chocolate brown complexion and what we're told is in the entertainment industry yellow girls get the gigs get the opportunities there's colorism is it true what i can say in my own personal experience is that my dark skin chocolate brown dark chocolate um, complexion has hindered me in some spaces it has yes it has because even with the face you've got, even with the face I've got, because it is those constructs that have been built and perpetuated by other black people. It's not as if I'm getting them from outside. It's our own people saying, listen, the lighter skinned will get preferential treatment financially, emotionally in the family sense construct, in the economic construct. In the romantic construct, in the relationship construct, in every aspect of society. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw yeah. a very, very, very controversial comment out there. Yeah. Um, one of my closest friends yeah. is tall, dark, gorgeous. Yeah. And she always used to tell us that no black man finds her attractive. So she ended up marrying a white man because mm. she said, I deserve love like everybody else. And the only men who saw me as truly attractive. And uh, I... I leave it at that. I leave it at that. So we still have this problem, do you say, in South Africa, where where white is right and the lighter you are, the more appealing you are, the more aesthetically appealing you are. It's in the, the industry. The more bankable you are. bankable you Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And even, but you said even in a romantic sense. So even in terms of the preference of men Absolutely. who want to create families. And this is just not a South African problem. It's no, it's a African very American problem. It's a global problem. And it's particularly an American problem because yeah. they always say, I think Yvonne Orji made yeah. a skit about it. She's a renowned comedian. And she yeah. said all the successful black men are taken up by white women. Hmm. Hmm. And so where must the successful black women go and find their men? Hmm. Viola Davis complains about it all the time. Lupita yeah. complains about it all the time. It's a, it's a reality, and it's what a reality. What do you think? What do you think is happening in our minds? Because we all walk around wearing the badge of Afro consciousness. We're proud. We're black. We quote Steve Biko, but uh, in practice, you don't. You just don't see these things happening on the ground. Why? It's also about the notion that how we wear our hair does that make us more African, or does that make us more Westernized? Hmm. How I dress 
do I want to fuck an impact or when I go out or can I wear my Louis Vuittons? Yeah. Does that make me less. more culturally significant or yeah. uh, real to my roots? Does that make me yeah. less of a khadeb or a khubi? Yeah. Because I'm sitting here in my weave mm. or not. Mm. All that being said, Lerato, for me is about how I feel about myself, how I carry myself, how I define what my self-worth is and how I'm going to project that to the world. Yeah. But most importantly, it's not what my parents or what the elders are saying to me. It's what I'm feeding to my mixed race son. Yeah. How is he going to treat other men? How is he going to treat other women? Yeah. How, how does he feel about his, himself and his own identity mm-hmm. and not being um, um, hurtful mm. in the world that we live in today and grow mm. up to be one of those people who do not have ethics, do not have responsibility, do not have reputation and do not have integrity. If you could put on your headphones, oh. uh, Lerato would like to say something. So all the love today, Lerato Squared. Hello, Lerato. Hi, hi, hi. Ksubi, I, I, I hi. like you, I love you. Hi. I, I enjoy this interview very much, but I just wanted to confirm what you just said. I had an experience yeah. where I, I, I had an interview. It was a panel of black men. Yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately for me, yeah. I'm an admitted advocate and they were so hostile because I went as I was. Unfortunately for them, I had to come back for a second interview because I was so good. <laughs> yes. I came back with yes. a weave. Yes. I came back with a weave and a lipstick and I lighter because I had to use something. All of a sudden, they were very nice. I did get the job, but I rejected the offer. So I'm what so you proud of you. It is like that. But I'm also proud of you. Uh, I ad- admire you. And, and yeah, you're, you're a great woman. You're mm. a great You know, Oslerato, you are, this is a topic, this is a very sensitive topic. It's going to raise the eye of many African men, but we got to go there, I think. Uh, not now. Oh, yeah. We've got to talk mm. about the fact that we pay lip service, homage mm. to racial mm. equality issues, when in fact... A lot of the colorism, a lot of the othering is happening within the black community. Absolutely. And yes. it, I'm so proud of you, Larato, because for you to have turned job, I mean, that's job, that's economics. You know what I mean? Yeah. You needed the finance. Yeah. And for you to stand up for your self-identity on saying, take me as I am or not, yeah. respect my sister, respect. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you, Larato. Have a wonderful weekend. Hamlet, hello. Uh, uh, hi, Suvi. Hi. I, I, yeah, I just want to say that, you know, the whole economy of beauty is white, you know, and the whole narrative and the concept of beauty, you know, its its origin and definition is white. And I think we have to really define, define beauty in our own way. And we're talking about this yesterday. I mean, uh, how we see beauty as black people. I mean, it's so distorted. Yep. It's really so distorted. Mm, yeah. and, and I think if we can define beauty in our own way, mm. then we can really appreciate ourselves. And it's true. I mean, this, um, you know, uh, uh, black men, you know, who are successful in America, they, they tend to go to, I mean, uh, white women. Yes, I mean, uh, American women uh, are complaining uh, about Hamlet, it. Hamlet, even <laughs> here, Baba, maybe not you, but even here. <laughs> even here yeah, in Zanzi. Truly, you are an amazing <laughs> Nandipa. You are beautiful and we love you. I love you. Thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, just another serious issue before we let you go. You also campaign for the World Food Program for the United Nations. What do you make of just the world right now? And I don't really mean just war, conflict, but Oof. you know, it's so expensive to eat. There's a hunger problem in South Africa. Then war makes it even more complex, for, complicated for people in war zones to access food. There's a whole humanitarian issue going on in Gaza. I mean, what do you make of a basic human rights like food?
becoming such a fraught issue. I've always said, and I've been with that organization for almost 20 years, Larato, that I never want to give people handouts. I want to be able to help people so they can help themselves, mm. number one. Number two, Africa is a continent of starvation, but the World Food Program is based on conflict and war. So I think in the past year, you've seen the geopolitical madness that has really happened. We have been so busy. But most importantly, we can't keep on sending food parcels, whether it by rail, by flight, by going to the primary schools. Yeah. That is just not sustainable. So I am of the question... Technology is not here for nothing. AI is not here for nothing. And I've always said, Larata, let's use it for good. Let's make it innovative. So hunger doesn't have to be an issue anymore. Why in 2023 are people still starving? So for me, it's about using AI and technology for good and being innovative and creative and how are we going to help people help themselves for generations to come, especially on the African continent. I hope we can expand on these themes um, soon and bring you back to talk about this work because you know it's 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 just so mind-boggling and disturbing to hear that regardless of what's happening in the world and inflation is a real issue but people are just struggling to put food on the I table know. we're not even talking now I know. electricity just a I meal know. we don't even know which families are going to have christmas meals i which know aren't. that's why i say lerato that yes i want to be passionate about the work that i do but and at the end of the day i'm not trying to impress anybody I'm not trying to uh, uh, have a community that I don't know want me or like me or respect me. Some things at the end of the day, I need to feel my family. I need to pay my bills Mm -hmm. and I need to take care of the people that I love the most. We've definitely run out of time. Mummy says, what a gorgeous lady is Klubi Mboya. I love her. She's a queen. You are so beautiful. I've always admired you. Uh, and I've always just wanted to be in sort of the same group as you as a person. You are authentic, says Mami. Klubi, as we say goodbye to you, we're really late for the news. Yeah. Everybody also knows that you are the sister to another South African media icon who passed on. When you speak to Guli Roberts, your sister, in your dreams, when you just have a moment and remember her, what do you say? It's not when I sleep that I speak to her. I speak to her when I'm awake. I speak to her on my way to work. I speak to her when I'm picking up my child. I speak to her when I'm in the toilet. Mm. And I say, thank you so much, Namagula. That's what I used to call my big sister. Because you made me realize the power of standing on your own, the power of standing up for yourself, the power of healing from trauma, what it means to break generational curses and how completely powerful you were as a black woman and as a mother and as a sister and as a daughter. Thank you for the gift that I had of you being my sister. Thank you. Shubin Boya, Arnolds. Thank you, Powerlessness. Goodbye. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.